The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. It's good to be with you. I'd ask you to take out your Bibles if they're not out already and turn to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, we're going to read a very familiar passage, one that if you've been a Christian for any length of time, if you've read the Bible for any length of time, you've probably encountered this text, but I want to read it this morning and then look at it more closely together. So Matthew 28, I'll begin in verse 16 with our reading, go to the end of the chapter, which is in verse 20, and then we'll ask the Lord's blessing once again on his word. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. This is the word of God. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray again together. Our God and Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. We acknowledge very openly that without you revealing yourself to us, we would be in the dark. We thank you that your word brings us light and life. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that it's breathed out by you and that it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We ask that your spirit might do his work through your word this morning in our hearts. We, we pray that you would convict us of sin. We, we pray that you would train us in righteousness. We pray that you would thoroughly equip us for every good work. And we ask these things. In the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. My family has a kind of tradition every, every summer. We have, for as long as I've been around, and then actually before I was even born, we've always gone to the same place on vacation. And it's this place up in, up in upstate New York, this little lake up there. And my dad went up there every year when he was a kid. And, and I went up there every year when I was a kid and my brothers. And now I still continue to do that with my own kids. It's kind of a, a family tradition. So it's a very familiar place to me. It's a very familiar place to all of us. But one of the things that I've realized recently, and this just occurred to me actually, uh, I think this last summer when we were up there, every year without fail, every single year for, for as many times as we've been up there, there's at least one moment during the week, usually sort of right at the beginning when we get up there, one moment where we're, we're sitting up there and, and we start noticing things that we love about this place uh, maybe things that we didn't even see before. Or, or at least we're reminded once again, we'll say something like, man, I forgot how much I loved the sunset up here. I, I, I forgot how relaxed I feel when I'm here in this place. And that's the way great places are for us. You can see them, but then you can see them again, and you can see them again, and each time you may spot something new. And I bring that illustration up because this passage 
is a familiar passage. It's one of the, the great passages of Scripture that, that many of you may be very familiar with. And, and if you're not, that's okay too. This is your first visit to this passage. But for some of you, this will be familiar, these words of Jesus in the Great Commission. And, and, and yet, what I'd like to do this morning, just in the few moments that we have, is I'd like to make sure that we take another look at what Jesus says here that we take it in one more time this morning. Even if we've seen it before, that we look at it carefully again. Now I want to point out one thing to you in, in, in preparation for us looking one more time at Jesus' words. I want, to, I want to point out to you the context in which this great commission is given. Look at the context in verses 16 and 17. The context is this, Jesus has lived among his disciples for three years, and ultimately that three years of ministry has led to the point of his crucifixion, he was executed, but then after three days he rose again miraculously from the dead, and his disciples have seen him now several times after his resurrection. And they've been trying to process all that this means. We know that Jesus taught his disciples after his resurrection. He explained to them from the scriptures what the significance of the resurrection was and why it sort of changed everything and validated everything that he had said. And the disciples were still working through all of that. And in this case, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is with his disciples again right at the end. And what it says is this that the disciples had two conflicting impulses. Look at verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. These are the two conflicting impulses that we see in the disciples. This is after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. These disciples are all people who have followed Jesus. They're all people who have trusted in Jesus. They're all people who are looking to Jesus for their hope and for their salvation. And yet, look at their response. Their response is worship, but worship mingled with doubt. If you're a Christian and you're honest with yourself, I bet you've experienced something like this. Maybe, maybe this morning, maybe at the beginning of this semester, you're experiencing something like this. Maybe very recently, this past Sunday, worship and yet doubt. Doubt maybe for intellectual reasons, doubt perhaps for sort of reasons of just your temperament and how you're feeling, doubt because of circumstances in your life, but worship mingled with doubt. It's actually interesting, this is the second time this happens in Matthew's gospel. Back in Matthew 14, we see the exact same phrase, the disciples worshipped and doubted at the same time. That was just after they saw Jesus calm the storm. You remember that story where Peter comes out of the boat as Jesus is, is calming the storm and and. And he doubts. And then it says that all of them worshipped and, and yet doubted at the same time. It's one thing to believe and even to sing in an abstracted way. 
But what we see in the Gospels, both here and back in Matthew 14, is it's a very different thing when, when you're faced with the real challenges of life. You might check off a box that would say, yes, I know God will provide for my needs, but what about when you're presented with a great challenge? What about when the circumstances of life seem to be closing in on you? Then it moves from something that you know to be true to something that you have to continually have confidence in in the midst of difficulties. And these disciples were facing just one of those moments here. They worshipped, but they doubted. Now that's actually encouraging. That should be encouraging for all of us as we come to the Great Commission. Because what it means is the Great Commission is not a word from the Lord Jesus Christ to people who have no doubts at all. It's not a word from the Lord Jesus Christ to to sort of super Christians who have it all figured out and never experience any challenge, any doubt, any concern, no no threats to their faith. No, this, this great commission is given to disciples who are worshiping and doubting at the same time. They knew about the resurrection. They followed Jesus, and yet they had doubts. Now, into this context, into this situation, into this sort of psychological difficulty that the disciples are experiencing, that if we're honest, we we experience as Christians today, it's into this moment that Jesus gives these words beginning in verse 18. And I want to draw your attention to four aspects of this great commission that Jesus gives, beginning in verse 18. It's very, actually, very straightforward, very simple to see these four aspects, because each of these aspects revolves around Jesus' use of a, a, a little tiny word. And the word that, that Jesus uses four times in the great commission, the, the word that I think, in a sense, provides the skeleton for the theology of the Great Commission, for what these people needed in the midst of worship and doubt. The, the, the word that is repeated four times is this little word in your Bible, all. Now, now it's not as obvious in our English translations, but let me, let me point it out to you as we go through. The first one is very obvious. The first instance appears in all of your English texts in verse 18. Jesus came and he said to them, in the midst of their worship and doubt, what he said is, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What's the first thing that disciples who worship and doubt need to know, that we need to know? The first thing is that all authority in heaven and on earth has been granted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, This doesn't come out of nowhere in Matthew's gospel. Actually, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew has shown again and again that Jesus has all authority. In Matthew 7, Jesus' teaching is said to be a teaching that came with authority. In Matthew 9, Jesus demonstrates authority to forgive sins. And the gospel makes sure that we know that this is authority to forgive sins. In in Matthew 9, we also see people say that they're marveling that God would grant Jesus this kind of authority. And it's also there in that same chapter 
that Jesus describes himself as the son of man, that one with great authority to establish a kingdom who's prophesied back in Daniel chapter 7. So Matthew has already shown us and told us that Jesus Christ has authority, but Jesus wants to remind his doubting disciples of that right here. All authority in heaven and on earth has been granted to me. Now, this has all kinds of powerful implications, doesn't it? First of all, it's meant to to help them, to comfort them, to comfort us. Because if Jesus Christ has all authority, then some of our doubts really should be left to the side, shouldn't they? If he has all authority, then many of the things that challenge us ought to go by the wayside. So so it's intended to be a comfort, but it's also intended to be a challenge to us as well. Because because if you're tracking with Jesus in verse 18, in other words, if you hear verse 18 and you say, yes, that's absolutely right. All authority in heaven and on earth has been granted to him. I see it throughout the gospels. I I see it in his life. I know in in the resurrection that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. If that's true, then you can't Ignore what he says afterwards. In other words, if he has all authority in heaven and on earth, then he has authority over over you and over me and over what we think and over what our priorities are and over what we do with our with our time and over what we watch and, and over everything in our lives. It's meant to give us comfort, of course, but it's also meant to present a challenge to us. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. This this issue of authority is interesting as you go through the scriptures. One of my favorite stories that, that deals with this matter of the authority of God and the authority in this case of the Lord Jesus Christ comes again in the book of Daniel, which I've mentioned already in terms of Jesus' reference to the Son of Man. But in the book of Daniel, we're introduced to this uh, great king, really the greatest leader of the ancient world, this great king, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar is the wealthiest man of the day. He is the most powerful. He has the most powerful military. And and he's building this this massive kingdom for himself. And, And what God does is God prophesies to Nebuchadnezzar that he would be brought low because of his pride. And in fact, what he says is there's going to come a time that because of your pride, I'm going to make you eat grass like like the cattle in the field for seven years. Nebuchadnezzar appears to dismiss it. But but later on, about six months later, Nebuchadnezzar is walking around his city and he says, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I with my hand have built? And immediately as he says that, he's struck down for seven years. And at the end of those seven years, the text... It's very interesting. It moves from the third person to the first person. Nebuchadnezzar himself speaks. And he says, you alone are the God of heaven and earth. You have all authority. And no one can stop your hand or say to you, what have you done? You have all authority. And you see, it's that authority that Jesus Christ is claiming for himself. All authority in heaven and earth. And on earth has been given to me. 
I had a, an experience that sort of brought this home a little bit. I was visiting, this was several years ago, I was visiting a friend of mine, someone whom I knew who was uh, an, an executive in a very large uh, financial services company. In fact, it was the largest one at the time, and, and he was uh, really the number two or three person in the company. And so I was going there to meet him at his office for lunch, and you know, it was, it was a high security building, and so there were all kinds of layers. They were very friendly, but it was, it, they were, there were all kinds of layers of security. And it, it, they took one look at me, and they knew that I, I didn't belong at all. And so they were, they, were, they were trying to sort of shuffle me off into a different room and turn me aside. And, and, and I kept explaining to them why I was there and who I was there to see. It was very interesting, though, because at about the third stage of the security, uh, one, of the, one of the people assigned to man one of the doors said, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to call the person that you say you're here to meet. And I, of course, go ahead. She lifts up the phone, calls him. Oh, her, her entire expression changes. Hangs up the phone, and it was as if, you know, the red carpet was rolled out from me. Why? Well, it was because, it was because at that point, I was, no longer, I was no longer operating. I was no longer walking through the building under my own authority, of which I had none. I was was operating under the authority of this person who had authority in that building. And you see, everywhere, in heaven and on earth, Jesus Christ is the one who has authority. And that actually leads to the second all that Jesus uses here in verse 19. Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been granted to him, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, in some sense, this might have come as a little bit of a shock to Jesus' disciples. In Matthew 10, when Jesus sent out his disciples, the same gospel records it in Matthew 10. In Matthew 10, when Jesus sent out his disciples, he actually told them not to go to all nations. He told them, just go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Don't go to the Gentiles. But here he says, go and make disciples of all nations nations. In other words, no place on earth is off limits to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have people in your life that you think that's off limits? I don't talk about Jesus with them. Are there places you won't go with the gospel? Uh, are there places you, you wouldn't consider going to with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, if all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, then it only makes sense that in verse 19 he would say, go therefore and make disciples of, of all nations. There's not a no-go zone for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no situation you can find yourself in. There's no place you can find yourself in. There's no group of people you can find yourself among who are off limits. In fact, actually, because of Jesus' authority over everything in heaven and on earth, then we have to say we must go to all 
nations to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder how central this is to your understanding of yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ. You might say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. Well, you know, the next thing he says is, go and make disciples of all nations. And if, if that part is filtered out in your mind, then I, I think what this text would tell you is you haven't taken the first part seriously enough. In a sense, if you, if you say yes to verse 18 and no to verse 19, then you haven't understood verse 18 at all. Because think about this. If you acknowledge someone's authority, and then the very first thing they tell you to do, you say, well, I'm not no, I can't do that. That must not mean what I think it means. Then have you really acknowledged their authority at all? This isn't a part of your thinking. If, it, if this isn't a part of the way you view your life, the way you view whatever vocation you might have, the way, the way you view whatever decisions you're going to make, the, the way you view your priorities, the way you view your definition of success in life, then I wonder how well you understand all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to, to me. We see wonderful examples throughout history of people who have heard these words and because they acknowledge the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, they, they, they understood that for them, in their life situation, with their gifts, with their opportunities, they had to go. There's a wonderful story about someone you may have heard of, Adoniram Judson. Went to Burma. He was told by other missionaries not to go. He left when he was... 24, his wife was 23, they'd been married for a year, they had three children eventually, all of whom died by the age of, of three. His wife died just before the third child died. But he went, and he went because his allegiance was to the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus Christ said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Well, that's the second all. The third all is this. Again, in verse 19 and extending into verse 20, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's the third all that's listed here in this text. That because of the authority of Jesus, because of the mandate of Jesus, that there's no place that's off limits. What are we to be teaching? How are we to be discipling? Well, we're to teach people to observe all that Jesus has commanded. Now, I want to point out a few things about this. First of all, the fact that Jesus commands us to, to teach, that this is how disciples are made. It's through teaching Sometimes people want to let themselves off the hook and say, well, I, I sort of make disciples by living a certain way. I make disciples by not uh, engaging in certain activities. All well and good. But you know, Jesus says you make disciples by teaching them 
to observe everything I have commanded you. A number of different ways to teach, of course. That's not always in a formal setting. It's not always up front as we might consider teaching to be. But, but nonetheless, teaching is central to what Jesus commands in terms of making disciples of all nations. You know, and he says, we've got to teach them to observe everything that he has commanded, all that he has commanded. This is even harder because, because some of us will say, well, I don't mind talking to people. I don't mind going anywhere, but, but I want to sort of shape the message and mold the message based on the people with whom I'm speaking. So, so, so I'm going to sort of take off the, the rough edges of what Jesus has said. And, and you know what those rough edges are. It doesn't take you very long. In a conversation, you may be having a conversation with someone one-on-one -on -one who does not follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and you know instantly the things that are going to offend them. You know instantly the things that you want to avoid. And if they press you on them, sometimes you'll dodge them. And so they'll say to you, well, I understand you're committed to Jesus, and that seems like a wonderful thing, but do you really believe all the things that he says about hell? You can't quite believe that. And what's the temptation that you have? The temptation that you have is to say, well, you know, that's not really the focus of my ministry. I sort of, I don't like that it. it's complicated. Scholars disagree. I mean, that's, that's your temptation. But what does Jesus say? No, no, you have to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. If you effectively cut out parts of your Bible, then what have you done? You have undermined the authority of Jesus Christ himself. It's not a trivial thing. It's not something that you can obfuscate by talking about scholarly issues. You've undercut the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, over everything in heaven and on earth. It's interesting because Matthew's gospel, if you analyze it closely, is actually organized around various teaching sections. In Matthew 5 through 7, we have Jesus sitting down and teaching what we think of as the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 10, he gives another set of teachings. In Matthew 13, he gives these teachings. In Matthew 18 through 20, he gives teachings. In Matthew 24 through 25, he gives teachings about his return. It's as if Matthew has prepared us for this moment where Jesus said, you need to be teaching and you need to be teaching what I have taught you. And your first instinct, if you're reading through Matthew from beginning to end, is to go back to those sections where Jesus sat down and taught. That's a good place to start. Teaching them. To observe all that I have commanded. And finally, this fourth all. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, in English, of course, always itself is one word. But actually, once again, what you would see if you were reading this uh, in, in its original text, that Jesus again uses this word all this last reminder, in addition to the first one, I think provides the antidote to the doubt that the disciples had. Because it's one thing to acknowledge the authority of Jesus. It's one thing to understand the mission that Jesus has given to his disciples. But then you face a circumstance. You're worried about the future. You think about all the things that could happen. And it's easy for those convictions to very quickly slip away. But what Jesus says I'm with you. I'm with you always. Jesus, I think, 
is building here on a story or alluding to a story in the Old Testament. Maybe you remember this story. It's found in Exodus chapter 3. And what happens in Exodus 3, of course, is God calls Moses to go and rescue the people, to go and deliver the people from out of Egypt and slavery. The Lord says, I've seen their plight. I have compassion on them. You're the one who's supposed to go, Moses. And what does Moses do? Well, he makes all kinds of excuses. And the Lord, of course, is very patient with Moses, but he doesn't let him get away with those excuses. And eventually, Moses says this to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And maybe, maybe the disciples were saying that right before this last statement. Maybe you're saying that. Understand Jesus' authority, but who am I that I should be the one, of, of all people, that I should be the one to go and deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt? And what God says to Moses very concisely, is what Jesus says to us. God says, but I will be with you. And that makes all the difference. That's what Jesus says here. Behold, before you dismiss this, remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Each of these alls, I think, carries not only a promise to us, but also a challenge. Do you believe that Jesus Christ has authority over your life? Do you believe that these are the commands that he's given? And as you go through the semester, and as you go through, really, the rest of your life, do you believe this promise that Matthew's gospel ends with, Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for your word. We need to hear from you. And we thank you for speaking to us. Be with us now. In Christ's name, amen.